the ATP, the Ernie, and the Joey. These are three shots you definitely want to master in pickleball as your game improves. And I'm talking with Joe Valente about all three shots, including the one named after him, the Joey. So let's get to the intro to hear from Joe. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Joe Valente. How are you doing today, Joe? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. It's great that you could make it. And one of the things that I do like to ask when I start the podcast is, Tell me a little bit about how you got into playing pickleball and how long ago that was. Yeah, believe it or not, we're going on uh, 10 years, actually just past the 10-year mark of playing pickleball. And it's been pretty intense since day one. We owned Valenti Sports here in Rochester, New York. So we were always involved in sporting goods. And back about 2011, Elvis Dangler from the JCC came to Valenti Sports to uh, teach us about this uh, new sport my dad had heard about recently or, or a few weeks before. And we played a little pickleball right in the driveway or parking lot of Valenti Sports. So it's been 10 years and uh, it's really, like many people, taken off like, like gangbusters. So initially when you got into it, did you feel a little bit like you were in addicted because you mentioned the, the word intense? Yeah, absolutely. So my father used to play tennis three times a week and uh, Pickle Fest 1 was held in um, 2010 and he went to that event and saw it being played and uh, what is this sport where you can get a lot more action with the ball, a lot more kind of... uh, finesse, a lot more touches on the ball. And he hasn't played tennis since. I mean, he went from playing tennis three times a week to just playing pickleball. And my brothers and I, I have three brothers, all play quite regularly now. And we have courts all throughout our family and we're definitely addicted to it. And I think as the sport's grown, as I've seen it grown in the last you know, 10 years, you start seeing it more and more on a uh, social media and even on TV. And it's something we experienced 10 years ago and the rest of the country's catching up to. I agree. I'm definitely one of those people who had a little opportunity to catch up just because basically in in Texas, where I was living at the time, people just were not playing pickleball. I had never heard of it till I moved to Connecticut. So tell me a little bit about having a retail sports store. Did you actually order and, and stock pickleball paddles right away or how did how did that evolve yeah absolutely as soon as we we're a team dealer and we've recently been acquired by our competition and in the lease we made sure that the two pickleball courts that we had installed at the back of uh back of the property were we were allowed to use for the duration of the lease so back in like 2010 2011 we were one of the largest pickleball re- retailers, definitely in the Northeast, and we sold a lot on Amazon as well. So we had all the connections with the local high schools, colleges, 
like I said, the the JCC, the community centers purchasing from us. And uh, even though we were pushing pickleball like crazy and taking up a lot of our retail space, it was really only contributing to like 1% of our net sales, but we promoted it as if it was almost 50% of our business. So anyone who walked in, any soccer mom, any you know, basketball dad, any athletic director of a high school or college, hey, this is pickleball. Come on out back. We'll show you how to play. And we were huge for a while. We did our own ProLite paddles that were branded for Valenti Sports, but we would test all the brands, all the paddles that came in. Obviously, there's a lot more now than when we started. And it's great to see all the different engaged paddles out there and, and all the brands out there that that people can choose from. So we've always been pushing the products and nets and even consulting with local country clubs or high schools on how to put courts in and what's the best way to convert tennis courts to pickleball courts. Now, I'm curious as to why, from a business perspective, you promoted pickleball so highly when it was really such a small part of your sales. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So since we were a family-owned business, we could really do whatever we wanted. The majority of our business was team sales. So a soccer club would come in and get 600 sets of uniforms or a high school football team would get 50 hoodies or jerseys. So we really had a big retail space, but retail was going the way of Amazon. So our retail footprint filled up with what we wanted. And what we wanted was pickleball. So that's kind of the case there. And Rochester, New York, was really on the map early for pickleball because of John Gardner and Dave Thomas and my dad, John Valenti, promoting the sport. We have over 170 pickleball courts in Rochester, about 80 outdoor, 80 indoor, and then 10 private courts, obviously one court in a barn, which uh, we'll probably talk about. But with John Gardner and Dave Thomas, the USAPA Nationals, or the National Senior Games were held in Rochester right around uh, 2000, I believe. Might have even have been 2009. So Rochester's always been a really, just a real hotbed of uh, pickleball, and it continues to to be. That's interesting. Is there, are most of the schools now having pickleball within their curriculum? Absolutely. Every, I believe every Monroe County or Section 5 school, there's about 105 Section 5 schools. And from what I understand, almost all the elementary schools or middle schools uh, play uh, pickleball. And we have five universities here. St. John Fisher uh, used to do pickleball back in the 1980s. So the, the current soccer coach, men's soccer coach for St. John Fisher College uh, came in maybe six years ago. He's like, yeah, I was, I was teaching pickleball back in the 80s. And there's pickleball throughout all the schools. So we love promoting the sport to the athletic director. Even my dad has gone into some schools to do clinics and kind of coaching. When we host pickleball tournaments, we always try to do a junior division. And we've had some success in the past with that as well. My, my brother, Polly, who's a teacher and actually other schools in the area, a lot of the teachers talk about playing during lunchtime. So it's really taken off. It's really... Uh, something great to see. And I think more parts of the country will start to see more and more students playing and and even teachers playing. You're right that Rochester, New York was well ahead of the curve if they were playing pickleball back in the mid 80s at, at the university. 
Yeah, I couldn't believe that. When uh, Jennifer Lucor did her book on the, the history of pickleball, I was honored to contribute a little bit with her. But I did some digging here and uh, found some early pickleball examples. Uh, Rochester has a long history for tennis. Um, Rochester's the birthplace of Eastman Kodak and Bausch and Lomb, Wegmans. So when you go back that far with Kodak or, or Bausch and Lomb, for example, you've got some, we're basically like the original Silicon Valley and you've got people with some leisure time. And so they started with tennis, obviously, but we've seen that morph into, you know, the tennis players playing pickleball. So we've got a huge tennis base. We've got a huge platform tennis base and then uh, even bigger pickleball base. I, I was on a call today about a, a indoor volleyball place that's looking to do pickleball. And we've actually approached them probably five years ago and a big, not like a luxury facility, but a nice tennis facility. We approached seven years ago about doing pickleball and they're slowly getting into it. But we also have a place like Dinkers, which has four pickleball specific courts, which, and they're sold out almost every night. They have really taken, taken the lead on having an indoor facility dedicated just to pickleball. So you've seen that throughout the country and we've got dinkers here in East Rochester. So Absolutely. We've got a dedicated indoor facility here too in uh, Connecticut. Now, one thing you mentioned was that Jennifer LaCour, and I believe you had an interesting experience with her in the Northwest on, I guess, the original pickleball court? Yeah, we had a mixed singles match. Jennifer Lucor and I, uh, she's from San Diego. She was the number one woman's player at the time. She's now probably the number one senior woman out there. We were at SeaTac, Seattle Tacoma tournament with, you know, Hall of Famers like Enrique Ruiz and Billy Jacobson, Yoda Friedenberg, the founder of ProLite Paddles, uh, Barney McCollum was there just as a spectator, but, you know, Chris Miller, Steve Wong, Tim Nelson, I think even Wes Gabrielson or, or Steve Peranto might've been there, but we found out we were only about 45 minutes to the original pickleball court that was founded in 1965 on Bainbridge Island. And Jennifer with her connections at the time of being the, the best pickleball player and, and an awesome person was given the address, which was quite secretive. And I guess it still is. And her and I took a quick road trip, got on the ferry, made it to Bainbridge Island and got to meet Carol Stevers, or Stevers, who is one of, she's actually one of the models on the old pickleball boxes for the, the advertising. She was just 16 years old at the time. And she gave us a tour of the neighborhoods around Bainbridge, or right on the, right on the water, right on the coast. There's three pickleball courts, basically right on the beach. And we got to play mixed singles on the original pickleball court. And we filmed it, posted it on YouTube. And it's, I get people reaching out every once in a while. Hey, how do I get to the original court? And unfortunately, I don't have the address. But it's, it was really remarkable to play on the first ever pickleball court. If you like any sport, to be able to play on the original pickleball court, it's something special, that's for sure. I guess Jennifer probably had to blindfold you so you didn't tell other people. <laughs> And the funny thing is I was driving, so she would just, she was just telling me where to go, but we captured it on video and that's something I, we share back and forth with each other every once in a while. Cause she's, like I said, in California, I'm in New York, so we don't get to see each other too much, but we always stay in touch with so many pickleball players. I think it takes a certain type of person to play pickleball. And I think it's because of the name, like you can't 
take yourself too seriously. And you will see some maybe tennis snobs that are like, no, I don't want to play pickleball because of the name. And it's like, fine, sit out, give someone else a chance. We've got plenty of people waiting. And then you find some of those those tennis players, once they do play it, once they get over the initial thing, they love it and they become the, you know, the strongest ambassadors to it. So it's a, a very unique and really family or fun loving type of community in, in pickleball. So when you reached out to have me on your podcast, I, I was elated to do it. I, I love spreading the word of pickleball and my insight and being part of what you're doing, which is so great to, to grow the sport as well. So many people haven't even heard of it yet. One thing that you mentioned was that you like to have fun when you play and, and not to take it too serious. I think I saw a photograph of you and your brother, which was quite enjoyable. You could just tell you guys would be absolute fun with the clinics and whatnot. Yeah, that's that's a 1979 MG midget convertible. So I drove it to Valenny Sports and uh, it's a small little car, a British classic car. And Philip and Paulie were like, hey, let's get a picture. And we were playing with Jose Derisi and we had just talked about doing clinics. So Jose Derisi is the number five or six men's senior men's pro player out there. He plays twice a week with us on Wednesdays and Fridays. And he's number, say, number six in the world for men's senior pro. And Rob Cassidy is also from the 585. He's on the tour. Eric Kennedy is out there. Paulie, Philip, and I. And usually for nationals in Florida or uh, the U.S. Open in Florida, there's usually about 18 players from Rochester, New York, represented at the U.S. Open. We take a big group down. So we love to we love to uh, compete. And there's a lot of us here. There's a lot of us in, in Rochester, New York. But yeah, that's a fun picture. We've used it for a bunch of our clinics that we do. So we have the four of us put on clinics for beginners all the way to advanced and new to the game people. We get a lot of people who just want to learn how, what's pickleball? I keep hearing about it. I see it on the Today Show. Right. And one of the things too, is that there's actually a pickleball shot named after you. Yeah. Yeah, Tell me what it is. Yeah. So there's the Ernie shot which Ernie Perry was at those SeaTac tournaments. So I created a shot called the Joey shot. And that is when somebody hits an around the post, also known as an ATP, they hit an around the post shot at you. It doesn't go over the net. It goes you know, on the side of the net around the post. They're usually standing out of bounds. And what you can do, the best defense against the ATP is the Joey shot. You just pop the ball right back at them. Uh, they're standing out of bounds. They're not even thinking they're going to get hit with the ball, but you, you tag them with the ball and you win the point. So I usually have my camera running. And in 2011 at Nationals, I was playing mixed doubles with Meg Krenzer against Timothy Nelson and his partner. And uh, I was able to capture that on camera. I had done it once before and I've done it many times since. And now I start to get it done on me. My brother, Polly did it the other day at Dinkers where I hit an around the post and he whacked it right at me. So now tell me, did you work to develop that shot or had you thought about it before the first time you hit it or how did that all come about? It, ha- it had happened enough where people were hitting around the post 
And um, I had just really just a light bulb went off that if I just hit them, they're not even you know, expecting the ball to come back. And it, and it works every time, really. It's really ingrained in me as an instinct now. If someone hits an ATP or an ATP is coming at me, I'm not even thinking about getting it over the net. I'm just going to hit it right back at them. And uh, it's been really successful. I'm looking forward to seeing the the pros out there start doing it because I think uh, Zane Navratil had mentioned he was going to teach it at one of his clinics, but he liked that. So there's guys out there like Brian Ashworth or Kyle Yates that do the the sick tricks and uh, Joey Schott's one of them. That's for sure. Let's go ahead and talk about not necessarily the Joey in this case, but just and around the post shot in general, that really is something I have not covered on the podcast yet. And so what situation does it make sense to hit that shot? You'll see a lot of top players are trying to avoid their opponent to hit and around the post, which means when they get into these dinking rallies, these really wide cross court dinks, you can hear them actually on the match. If it's being broadcast, so don't hit it too wide. Don't hit it too wide. If you see that ball is going to be 12 inches from the sideline and the net post, if it's a temporary net might only be eight inches. You're going to have plenty of time to just get your body into position, get low, just time it right. Don't hit it too hard. And you can go around the post. You can go around the post. Actually, there's a there's another video uh, from Canadian Nationals where I was playing Mark Renison in singles. And he had hit an around the post on a point. And it was probably like a 17 rally point. And we've hit a couple more rallies in the point and I ended up hitting and around the post. So there were two around the posts in the same point, Canadian nationals and the men's open doubles with Mark Renison, who's a great coach. So you can do an around the post in singles. You can round, you can do it in doubles. It happens a lot more in doubles though, where your partner is going to hit it wide to the uh, opponent in front of you. So you got to be careful because if it's wide enough, they can pop it right around the post. And that's where the Joey shot comes in. You just, it's the best defense for it. So work on it, try it. That's how you get better at it. Both of them, the the ATP, will, you will hit a lot more ATPs than Joey shots. That's for sure. So it sounds like you had said, I think it would be, the ball would be around 10 or 12 inches from the sideline. And that is close enough to the sideline to provide the opportunity to hit the ATP. Yeah, usually the net post is eight inches from the sideline. If the net six inches, but if you get into those wide dinking rallies cross court and they keep going wider um, and around the post is inevitable. And you could actually really finesse your opponent into hitting you a dink that's wide enough for you to hit an ATP. You can kind of dictate the point in that if you hit it wide and narrow enough, they will hit it wider and narrow. And by narrow, I mean just over the net. So it's not very deep, wider and narrower enough that it'll go past the post. And it's a great shot, the around the post. And you can score a lot of points that way. That's for sure. But anything, whether you're working on an Ernie shot or an around the post or Joey shot, you got to work at it. You got to practice it. A lot of people like to just get into the game. And uh, the better players are the ones that dedicate time 
to drilling. And that's definitely a drill. Now, at what point or what level of pickleball player do you think it makes sense to start trying to hit ATP shots? Definitely intermediate and above. Once you get to that point where you can kind of dictate a point, whether you're pushing your opponent backwards by hitting a deeper dink to their feet down the line or a dink, a deeper dink to your opponent cross court. That's one of the things we teach in our clinics is kind of dictating the point. You decide where your opponent's going to hit this ball. Are you going to hit it high enough so they can slam it at you? You don't want to do that, but can you hit it deep enough to their toes where they have to take a couple steps back and try to hit a volley where they're moving? Or can you put it wide enough in between down the middle? So in between both opponents, so they kind of fight over who gets it. Really, when you get to an intermediate level, that's where you will definitely be able to dictate a point and hit an around the post for sure. It is something we try to always, if we see it in a point, hey, listen, that's where you hit an around the post. Let's set up a situation where you've got a wide volley hit it right around the post. It doesn't have to go over the net to be in. It just has to go. It just has to land in your opponent's court. So have you been working on any ATPs? And that's what you'll hear it called ATP around the post. Cause if not, you and I should, we should drill. We'll hit some ATPs together. Yeah, actually that's a great idea. And, and one question as we're talking about this that I had is when you hit it around the post, are you trying to, impart some spin on it so it it does stay in the court? Usually it's wide enough where you can hit it flat. You can just hit it nice and flat towards the back corner of the, of the court. That's where you'll see the biggest, the most area to hit will be deeper, almost to the back corner of the court because everything else is cut off by the net. So you just nice and easy, just get it in play. If you're at that intermediate or intermediate plus level, your opponent might not even be ready for it. They're, they just think they won the point because it's going so wide that you got to keep the point in play. Just like every point of pickleball, it's about having your opponent make the mistake. So just keep that ball in play, even if you have to go around the post. All right. Well, that is some great advice and something I will definitely be working on this winter. One of the things I want to check with you is you do clinics. I don't know if you travel around the country and do them or mostly just in the Rochester or New York area, but tell me a little bit about, and the audience a little bit about what you offer in terms of the clinics. um, They're on pushyourself.com. Pushyourself.com is a site where you can find all about them, but they sell out every time we're on our uh, third clinic this month, really or in 30 days, this is our third clinic that's not sold out yet. So the first two were sold out pretty quickly. We've got another one coming up in December at uh, Pinnacle and we'll have probably eight courts running and everything from new to the game to beginners, intermediate and advanced. We'll have something for everybody. Uh, a great crew with Paul Valeni, Phil Valeni, and myself and Jose DeRisi. And what we find the energy that's brought to these clinics by our um, participants is through the roof. They're really excited to be there. They're putting down money to be at a clinic to get better. And that's what, as uh, teachers, that's what we're looking for. As, as teaching pros, that's what we want. And we have been super excited from the 
positive response we've seen and heard after the events and during the events of what a great experience this is. A lot of people have seen us play throughout the country and to be on the court with us getting instruction and hitting with us because one of our last parts of each clinic is a time to play and uh, Philip, we call him the hawk. He's six foot four. He loves to get in there with beginners and show some extra uh, shots that they might never seen. He's got really quick hands. Polly and Jose, people love playing with them as well because they'll keep every ball in. So our, our clinics, like I said, pushyourself.com. The toughest thing for us is to find participants in new to the game because everybody we know that plays pickleball isn't new to the game. So we've had uh, a good response from these facilities we work with, whether they're primarily basketball or volleyball. They have their own participants who, like I said, they've seen it on the Today Show or the Morning Show, and they want to they play pickleball. So we've got something for everybody, new to the game all the way to advanced. Even I love to learn more and more about pickleball, so it's great to have these resources out there, like just playing with Polly and Jose and Philip. We all kind of make ourselves better. We all push each other. And the, cl- the clinic's a great way to get better. And there's so much growth out there from intermediate to advanced and then advanced to pro that everybody can learn something. That's for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for being on the Pickleball Fire podcast. Really interesting show. I, I thought learned a lot about the history and uh, I'm going to be working definitely on that ATP. So if people want to get a hold of you, you had said to go to pushyourself.com. Is that the best place to reach you? Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. That's it. And I hope you uh, hope you get a chance to talk to Polly and Philip. I know they're, they'd love to share their experiences. Real quick, Polly has the barn, the pickleball barn. You'll see it on Facebook. So that's Paul Valenti. You can find him on Push Yourself or Facebook. You got to check out that barn. It's got a pickleball court inside the barn. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the Pickleball Fire podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Lynn. It's great. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 